Just want to pick up on um, the prophetic word from earlier as I pray uh, to kick off about the fire and cleansing. Father God, thank you for that encouragement this morning about what you want to do with us. And uh, I do pray that by your grace, that the message I share this morning would be uh, a word that comes with your fire, with cleansing power. We recognize that money so often has a power over us. And we want to be freed from that. We don't want to be controlled by finances. And we need your power to set us free. And where that requires us to be cleansed, Lord, we want to be cleansed. I pray that as we look at your word in the scriptures this morning, that you would do that amongst us. For your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen. It might help you, as we look at uh, finances, for you to know that personally, I hate doing our personal finances. Uh, Bev has to nag me. It's a source of contention in our own home that Bev is really good at keeping a record of all that we're doing financially. And then when I am overdue, filling in the, you know, the system that we have for knowing what's going on with our finances, then she starts to nag me that I should play my part. I am the problem in our household. Um, we actually had quite a lot of problems financially in the first years of our marriage because I am numerate. You know, I, I studied science. I can do numbers. We had this funny idea, Bev and I together, um, that it would make sense for me to look after the money. Uh, and that was just silly. <laughs> so if any of you are living with the experience of monthly getting a letter from the bank saying that you've gone past your authorised overdraft limit and they're charging you money for it, I want to say I know what that feels like. I remember as a graduate student when Jeremy, who's leading the meeting this morning, was my personal pastor, and we were working in the same building in the Department of Zoology, running to find him on at least one occasion, with a sense of panic that another one of these letters had come. And I couldn't see how we were ever going to get our finances in order when our debts were being added to by my lack of administration. So there you go. That's me. Since then, I have trained with the Citizens Advice Bureau to offer advice in, amongst other areas, debt and benefits and so on. So I have learned a bit along the way. It is still not the case that I'm not a financial advisor. I can't tell you what to do with pensions or mortgage or anything like that. Or if I did, you could probably sue me (laughs) in the world in which we live. Um, That's me. I don't know what your view of money is. Here's a common view that we have of money. We often think that basically, this is just supposed to be a pie. Don't get distracted by the strawberries. If you're feeling hungry now, I'm sorry. It's quite nice looking, isn't it? But we have the idea that the money that's been given to us is, like, we've we've been given a certain amount, and what it's about is dividing it up sensibly to try to make it get all the way around, I don't know if that's how you think about money. We talk about how we're going to slice up the pie. I want to offer you a different picture, which I believe is a more accurate picture of what's actually going on with our finances. What happens is that money comes our way, either more of it or less of it, but money comes our way, and then it has this way of kind of flowing away from us as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Have you ever noticed that £10 notes have a way of disappearing? Have you noticed that? You have a £10 note in your pocket. You've got it out at the ATM. You got it out maybe on the way to work in the morning. You get home in the evening and it's not there. And you think, where did that go? 
And it's not that someone's nicked it, it's that you've spent it, because you've only got 70p change left. So you know you've spent it, but it's hard to tell where it went. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I think a few of you have. I have on a number of occasions. There's something about money that once we've got it, it has this tremendous power to flow away from us as we spend it on things. I don't know if you've ever noticed that with your bank account as well. If you are someone who doesn't look at your bank account that often, um, my experience, and I've asked around a little bit about this, I think it's a common experience, is that when you eventually go to look at the balance in your bank account, it's never more than you thought it would be. (laughs) Never. It's always less. It's like the money has gone somewhere. So what we're going to look at this morning is some biblical perspectives on these two different dynamics. Our income. Where's the money coming from? What are the dynamics about money coming to us? And also our spending. In looking at the Bible, we're looking at texts that are at least 2,000 years old. And they're teaching us eternal truths. They are not affected by the current economic climate. It is not the case that because there is an air of recession and economic gloom around, that somehow these principles have ceased to be relevant until the economy picks up again. These principles have been true through the centuries, and they remain true now. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible is helpful. <laughs> the Bible is helpful with our finances. If I sound a bit croaky, by the way, it's just because we, we had a barbecue last night. And there wasn't, I don't know if, you, if you're having a barbecue and there's not enough wind and you're doing the barbecue, you just stand in a cloud of smoke, don't you? That's what happened to me yesterday. It was quite nice, but I just feel a bit croaky. It's not that I've been smoking or, you know, I'm not ill. Just had a nice barbecue. Um, okay. So first thing about income. The first thing to say about income is that there is a role for us in working. You know, God is a worker. Yeah? Jesus said, my father has always been at work. And so I too am at work. The act of creating the universe was quite a task. The act of sustaining the universe is quite a task. God does all of that. That is his work. At least that's a part of his work. In Genesis 1 and 2, it describes the creation of humanity in God's image. In Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, it says that God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's quite a lot of work. And what was going on is that as we were made in God's image, that wasn't just about somehow being clever or having two arms and two legs or something, but as God is a worker... Being made in his image means that we are also made to work. Can I hear any kind of amen or something? (laughs) The fact that work is difficult 
it says in Genesis, is a consequence of human disobedience. After Adam and Eve's sin, a curse was put upon work that work would become difficult. But the solution to that is not to be set free from work to a life of leisure, but to find that once again, our work is productive. Yeah? We are made to work. It's not an awkwardness for us to have to work, but what we're made for. And when you follow this through into the New Testament, Paul, in his letters, writes a couple of relevant things. For example, it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, we give you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. There's an expectation of us doing work, work that is productive, and our gaining an income from our work that will provide for our needs. And if we're unwilling to do that, then other people shouldn't provide for us instead. Yeah? We're called, work is a good thing. And as Steve Thomas read from Ephesians 4 last week, this isn't just for our own provision, but it says there, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. It's obviously quite a rowdy church to be part of that he had to say that. But instead must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So work is about providing for ourselves and providing for others. Now, if we are working, but that work, for whatever reason, is not providing us with an income, then we pray. Uh, It's a bit like a farmer, then, who has worked hard to sow the crops and irrigate them and whatever. If having done all of that work, the harvest isn't coming up as you might hope for, what do you do? You pray, and you pray, and you pray, which is the same thing as praying that you'd be set free from the curse of the fall. That work would not be difficult and unproductive, but that your work would be productive. Ultimately, Just as a farmer, if a farmer for five years in a row has sown and sown and got no return, there does come a point at which you have to question whether you're doing the right kind of work. But you start out by praying. So that's the first thing. In gaining income, our role is to work. On the other hand, God promises to provide. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read a few different scriptures this morning. Let's read from Matthew 26, no, Matthew 6 and verse 25. Jesus says some really good things. Yeah, this is one of the really good things that he says. Jesus says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labour or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. 
If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, uh, sorry, is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The wonderful promises here from God that he will provide for us. At the same time that we need to work, because that's what we're called to, God promises that in any case... He will provide for us. Bev and I have a great story from our, and we we own our home uh, in Oxford, subject to the fact that we have a mortgage. But until about eight years ago, we had, uh, we'd lived in a series of rented flats and we had no prospect of buying a house in Oxford. We also knew that on the income that we had, we couldn't see how we would be able to afford to rent a family home when we started a family. And so over a number of years, we've begun to pray, just God, your word says that you'll provide for us and that we don't need to worry, so we just trust that you will provide. And then we had a very special week in which three things happened. One thing was we discovered that Bev was pregnant with our oldest child, Amber, which was great. Um, And then, aside from any initiative on our part, two other things happened. One was that I received an unexpected inheritance of 45 grand, which I really wasn't expecting. I mean, I knew I had a relative who died, but I didn't expect... (laughs) I didn't expect that. We went to the funeral, and the will was read, and I was like, that's kind of helpful, isn't it? (laughs) And then also, someone in the church... uh, who was in our house group at the time, said, we've got a substantial amount of money that we feel we want to invest in the Oxford property market. We want to put it towards somebody buying a house. You're our first choice. Is that all right? And so we went from having no deposit at all to having something like an 80 grand deposit in about three days. And Jesus says, don't worry. He says, just don't worry. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Bev and I are starting to feel that, we, that the house that God has graciously provided for us might well not provide for our needs in the future. Those of you who have been to our house will know that all the plumbing is downstairs and it's starting to be a tension between, and as, as Amber is now old enough that she stays up into the evening to the kind of time when we have people around, we have people around probably majority of evenings of the week it's awkward you know bathrooms all down you have to walk through the same open space that we have it's just not really working for us and so we're saying well we're no more able to do anything about that than we were able to be in the house that we are in and so we're just saying well god you understand if this is a genuine need that we have we're not going to worry about it but we are going to start to pray And there's a real issue in the city that we live in, where it's one of the most expensive cities in the country to live in, 
the wages don't have the same weighting as they do in London. It's a challenge, isn't it? For all of us, housing is a challenge. You see it really clearly when we have guests that come to spend time with us as a church and we're asking, is there anybody who'll put them up? And I know for a fact that amongst all of us, there's about six spare bedrooms. You know, because we've asked these questions. You know, there's, not a, there's no one, pretty much no one, I mean, there's just a few people who've got any extra space. It's just, I understand. But actually, God doesn't want us to live sort of under the burden of that and to feel that we're somehow just getting by in the circumstances. And it's possible for us to have something of a poverty mentality concerning accommodation in our city, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah? I believe God wants to set us free from that and to remind us that he will provide for all of our needs. One of the reasons sometimes that we get a little bit complicated about this income promise is that we need to remember that as God promises income, he does promise it on a certain time scale. He promises it for today and tells us not to worry about tomorrow. In the Lord's Prayer, which I trust we all pray often, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. We tend to think about a hand-to-mouth existence as a really bad thing, but it seems that that's what Jesus is telling us to pray for. Yeah? Jesus is actually quoting from Proverbs 30 in the prayer that he taught us. So it's probably worth having a look there because it opens this out a little bit more. Proverbs 30 and verse 8. Agur. It's one of his sayings. Jesus is quoting Agur, the the wise person. Uh, Halfway through verse 8, Agur says, prays, um, give me neither poverty nor riches. There's a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That's what Jesus is after. Verse 9. Otherwise, I may have too much. That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Well, it is. I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. There are twin temptations. There are temptations that beset the poor and there are temptations that beset the rich. The temptation of the poor is to crime. The temptation of the rich is to live as if God is an irrelevance. That is the temptation of the Western world. Because we are rich. You know, what we tend to want is a salary that will pay for all of our needs and enable us to save plenty towards a decent pension fund. That's what we want. Or, failing that, we'd like to win the lottery so that we get all of that stuff now and don't have to work anymore. It's probably preferable. But God doesn't promise that, funnily enough. God has made us to work, and he promises to give us enough for each day. And he will. 
that's enough about income. We need to talk about spending as well. That's the other side. We had our, our bucket. There's stuff coming in, stuff going out. Let's stay in Matthew's Gospel. I'll go back to Matthew's Gospel if you turn to Proverbs. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25. I'm going to read about the parable of the talents. This is a story picture concerning the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. A talent was a coin, a, a, a coin of high value. To another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your money in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Taking the talent from him, Uh, Take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's quite a lot that could be said from this parable. You might want to draw some um, thoughts about capitalist investment from it. I'm not going to go there this morning. Um, I want to make a much, much, much simpler point, which is the overarching statement of this parable, which is that there will be a time when we will have to give account for the property that God has given to us. All that we have, all that has come to us, has been given to us by God, and he will ask us what we've done with it. So I just want to ask, do you know what you did with the property, the money that God gave to you in the last month? Do you know what happened to it? Because I wonder if we could uh, allow ourselves to imagine a fourth servant who was perhaps also given five talents. And the master comes back and says, so what's happened? Can you imagine the servant saying, well, I know you gave me five. Um, I know where three of them are, but I'm afraid two of them have just kind of disappeared. I, I, I don't really know where they went. 
So my, my question is, do we know what we've done with what God has put at our disposal? Because if we don't, if we cannot even account for it, actually it places us in a worse position than the servant who'd hidden the money. In, at least he knew where it was. I mean, he'd not lost it, you know? If you don't know what you spent your money on in the last month, I want to encourage you, you can work it out. It's possible. There are receipts and bank statements, and you can go through the last month, and you can make a list according to different categories of what you've spent. It's not lost information. Well, maybe a little bit, little bit of it might be lost. I want to take an example here. Um, just... To try and make it real, I guess, and practical, what might a young... I've taken, I looked up the average figures for income and expenditure for a young adult, someone in their mid-twenties, say, renting a room in a house, average living cost in Oxford. If someone were to do that, if they were a Christian, because there's a few Christian assumptions in here, and they went back through that, this is what you might, they might come across. They've tithed, so they spent a couple of hundred pounds tithing. Priority bills like rent and council tax just run through as far as where it says total. Keep going. One more. There. Oh, it's jumped down a line. Okay. Um, you might go through and you might find something a little bit like this. And you add it all up and you say, well, I realise that I know how I spent £1,500 last month. That would be, an av- that would be this is average figures, a normal sort of thing to have happened. But let's have that next bit back again, even though it's kind of jumped over the line. Um, but when you look at your bank statement, if you've not done this for quite a while, a little bit like the £10 note that magically disappears and the bank statement that never seems to have quite as much money in as you think it should, chances are, if you do this, you'll find that you actually spent more money than you quite know how you spent it. There's a bit that you just don't know where it went. Some of you have been through this process and you you know what it's like. And what's probably happened is in amongst all the things that you've done where you've paid on a card or you've got receipts, you took some cash out, you know, maybe like 20 quid a week or something, and it kind of did its thing, disappeared. You got some rough idea what you spent it on, newspapers and beer and I don't know, Um, but you're not quite sure and you can't quite say. And there's a certain amount of money... In this case, in this example, maybe, you know, £100 or so that you just don't know where it went. And yet we're called to give an account of where it went. I'm not at this point asking any questions about whether this money has been spent well. I'm just saying, are we able to account for what we're doing with what God's given to us or not? Is it just somehow disappearing? If it's just somehow disappearing, that can't be good stewardship. And it might not matter, except that God does promise that he'll ask us about it all. So, so after all, it does. So the first, thing, the first thing, biblical principle, is just to account for what we're spending. It takes a bit of effort, but it can be done. Second thing is to avoid debt as much as we can. We're going to go back to Proverbs again. The book of Proverbs just underlines simply for us that to be in debt is a bad thing. And by, by the way, just in case there's any, any confusion, taking out credit 
is being in debt. Yeah, just when you're offered credit, what you're being offered is to be in debt. You understand that? Yeah. The the word credit can confuse the matter. Yeah. Okay. Um, biblically, then, debt is a sign of poverty. Being in debt is seen as a sign of poverty. Proverbs 22 and verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. It says further on in the chapter, Do not be a man who strikes hands in a pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Consistently, the scriptures see being in debt as a, as a bad situation to be in. When I was offering advice for the Citizens Advice Bureau, I had one chap come to see me whose credit card debt amounted to £88,000. And he was, he, but he was all right about it. At least he had been all right about it until one of the people that lived in his house was too ill to work and stopped making the payments that he had been making. And then the whole thing fell apart. And you see, there is this illusion that goes on in a society that thrives on credit that it's all okay, actually. Well, we might live for a year or two or three and it all be okay, but there are likely to come crunch points. If the story of Western economies in the last few years tells us anything, it's that crunch points do come. And that's why the scriptures see being in debt as a bad place to be. There is a vulnerability when you're in debt to finding yourself in a really very difficult situation. Statistically, though, most people here are in debt. I won't ask. When I asked if you had money, I won't ask if you're in debt. Um, the average household debt in the UK, excluding mortgages, is about £8,500. That's unsecured debt. So I won't ask whether you're in debt, but I will ask, are you now going to go further into debt or are you going to get out of it? And I want to say you can get out of it. The only way to know if you are going into debt or coming out of debt is to compare your accounting of what you're spending against what you're getting in. That's how you can tell. Unless you do that, you don't even know whether you're getting into debt or coming out of debt. Am I making sense? So let's go back to our average example. Suppose this person, average person, total spending £1,600. The problem is, on an average income for that age bracket, your net income is a bit less than that. So if someone is living that way, then they are going into debt by £43 a month. And unless you look at that, you'll never know. The, um, the stewards hopefully, have got some sheets. Thank you, Adrian. I don't know if... I'm going to hand some sheets out. This is just to help us all. Because by the time you've done this, by the time you've worked out where your money's going, and 
worked out or just looked up or whatever what money you've got coming in. What you have is something called a household budget. That's what it is. If you've ever, if you don't have a household budget and you've wondered, I think I'm supposed to have one of those, but I don't know what it looks like, this is it. There is no further hidden mystery. A household budget is simply a list of what you've got coming in and a list of what you're currently spending, and then you can see what the difference is. And you'll discover, almost certainly, either that you've got some spare money you didn't know about, or that you're going into debt. You know, it's unlikely that the two things will... If you've not done this before, it is most unlikely that those two figures will match exactly. It's an unlikely coincidence. So we're not going to do anything with it. I'm not going to ask you to fill this in this morning, or anything like that, because... Actually, to fill in something like this would require you to go and sit and look at your bank statements and your receipts and your pay slip and all the rest of it. But I want to say to you something very clearly, and I really want you to be listening as I say this, because some of you are not going to believe me, and I just want to say it as clearly as I can. I want to say, it's not in the Bible, but it's nonetheless true that you need one of these. Okay? You need, uh, I will allow for one exception. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. I have a friend who uh, was the captain of the university chess team um, some years ago. He's very good at playing chess. We used to sit down and play chess, um, three of us with a board in front of us, and him sat on the far side of the room reading the paper and having a cup of coffee. And we'd all call out our moves to him, right? And he would call back his moves with all three games going on in his head simultaneously, and he beat all of us. Okay, there's a gift there, isn't there? Now, if you are gifted in such a way that right now you have in your head all of your income and expenditure, and you know exactly where it's all at, and you know you're on top of it without any bits of paper, then rip up the piece of paper in front of you now. You don't need it. Okay? <laughs> Okay, if you have not been blessed with such wonderful gifts, you need some help. You need some tools. We are not peasant farmers who can tell the state of our wealth by how well the crop is growing. Right? We need to make use of tools like this in order to know even whether we're going into debt or not. So I want to say, you need to be... If you've not got a household budget like this, a personal budget, then I really want to ask you to do that this week and just start to find out even what's going on. Because we will have to account for what we spend and we do need to avoid debt. If you are in debt, there are things that you can do. So let's have a little look at that. If you are in debt, first of all, do take it seriously. Don't... Just sort of imagine it's going to go away. And in particular, when you draw up what you're spending on, the first thing to do is to get a grip on what is the the don't know spending. I had that on the thing before. If more money is going out, then you know where it's gone. There's a certain amount you just don't know what's happening to it. First of all, get a grip on the don't know spending, where money's just disappearing. That's a good place to start. That might give you enough to get on top of things. Secondly, you can reduce your costs. So if you are in debt, you might well be able to rearrange your debt 
in such a way that it will reduce your regular payments to an affordable level. And uh, you might need a little bit of help and advice from a financial advisor or something, but actually God will help you to find wise ways of organising your costs. I was uh, speaking a couple of weeks ago to um, some guys from a church elsewhere in the UK who had a large mortgage. A week, um, well no, at a certain point, their church manager said, I believe God's spoken to me and we need to switch our mortgage from the current fixed rate that we're on onto a a rate that tracks the the, uh, Bank of England rate. This is a few years ago. Um, What do you reckon, guys? And they talked to him and said, well, look, you know about these things and if you feel God's spoken, you know, we'll go with it. I mean, fair enough. Uh, The following week, the credit crunch happened and in the wake of that, Bank of England base rates have gone to 0.5% and stayed there for quite a long time. That little bit of hearing God, because it was a word of knowledge that came whilst he was praying, has saved that church a six-figure sum. God will help us. Bev and I ourselves, about a month ago, I was praying, and I felt God say, change your mortgage arrangements. And uh, I was resistant to doing so. I thought about doing it for some time, but I was praying, and I felt God say, just do it change your mortgage arrangements um, so that, you know, so that our finances would work, basically. They'd not really been working. And uh, I went to the, the C&G that we have our mortgage with, and I talked to them about it. They said, oh, yeah, that's all fine. We'll put the papers through. Went back to sign the papers, and, and she looked at the, the computer screen. She said, oh, no, she said, um, that offer's been withdrawn. You, you can't rearrange your mortgage now. It can't happen. Oh dear, because you know things we haven't been doing a good job of making ends meet, and I thought, oh, my heart sank. Then she read on down, and she said, "All she said, all she said, um, that only comes into effect tomorrow." (laughs) And so, on the last possible day, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're now actually in a slightly better position. So, the Holy Spirit will help you as you seek to go about the task of reducing your costs. He really will. He cares, you see. And he's quite clever. So that's really good. Um, Further, you can start thinking about reducing your spending rather than waiting for miraculous income. It's amazing what we think we need, isn't it? Um, It's easy to just get caught up in having the latest phone, buying everything new, you know, going out for lunch, making sure you have a nice bottle of wine every Friday night. Well, it's amazing what we think we need. Uh, we don't have to buy new clothes, by the way. You know, the promise of clothes in Matthew 6 didn't say new and this year's fashion. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't need to. Um, and there are actually many, many ways in which we get caught up in the materialist, you know, consumerist, Keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, that's right. I've always felt quite immune from that. We are the Joneses. I, mean, I, I, don't, feel any, I don't feel any pressure from that statement. Um, uh, but it, it's true, isn't it? I think we could all look back over the last couple of months and see spending decisions that we've taken under some kind of sense of, you know, sort of being carried along by our culture. You know, the phones that have come out more recently, you know, we kind of probably need one of those or whatever it may be. We kind of get 
carried along. The clothes that we're wearing don't look as cool as they did. I need to spend some money. Well, you know, if you're in debt, you don't need to spend money that isn't yours. <laughs> you don't. And I want to, you need to be freed up from having to do that, feeling that you need to do that. If you're at the end of yourself with debts, and uh, with a number of people that we've got here, there are bound to be a few people who are really at the end of themselves with debt and despairing over what could ever happen. I want to encourage you to get advice from people that know about it. There are ways out, but you'll need to open up and not just try to deal with it by yourself. If you're desperate, ask for help. There are people who will help you. So there we've had it. Looking at spending, account for what you're spending, avoid debt, a few practical thoughts about avoiding debt. Thirdly, ask God what to do with what you have. You know, if all of that talk of debt left you feeling poor, it's helpful to remember that globally speaking, we're all rich. The global average income is £500 a year. That's normal, globally. Just uh, if you earn, and this is the average income for, again, a young adult in Oxford, if, you, if your gross income is £24,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of rich people globally. You're right at the top end, even if you don't feel like it. So we do have a responsibility to spend our riches on what God cares about. And there's a danger that having a household budget will make us miserly. Because the way it could work is we look at it all and we look at it and we say, I can't afford to give anything to anyone. I'm only just making ends meet. But properly understood, a budget doesn't tell us what we can afford. It tells us what it will cost for us to give. Let me explain what I mean. If God prompts me to give £80 to someone and my household budget is only just balancing, it won't do for me to say, ah, it's just not possible this month, God. Do you not understand? That won't do. Having a budget enables me to see the consequences of my giving away £80. I can see clear as crystal that that's my whole entertainment budget for my family for, say, the next six weeks that I am giving away. I know just what I'm doing. And it helps me to trust God. We're going to have to trust God for some free fun. Because we've just given away the money that we would have spent on it. So having a budget doesn't constrain our generosity, but it does make it a lot more real. The goal of having a budget is not to patch up all the holes to reduce all of our spending as much as possible so that we have a heap of money to hang on to. (laughs) That's not the goal. Jesus told another parable, didn't he, about someone who hoarded his agricultural produce and then died. It was all a bit pointless. And Jesus said, don't do that. It's not about hoarding. What Steve Thomas said last week, I can simply agree with. The more that the task is to get the flow directed to the right places. So there are some forms of spending, some holes, if you like. Don't go there quite yet. 
Or you may... There we go. There are some... There are some things that we do need to patch up. You know, there are some things that we need to stop spending on in order that the money that God does give to us flows to the right places. There's some wrong spending to stop. But the idea is not to become a stagnant bucket that's getting ever fuller. That's not the vision. (laughs) The vision is that through us, money will flow to the right places. As God wants. And one thing that Steve Thomas said last week is that the more that we do that, the more that we get the flow going in the right direction, the more God will pour in the top. Because God's quite strategic. And he doesn't pour his resources into stagnant buckets that are going nowhere. Nor does he pour his resources into buckets that are so full of holes that it's just going to dribble all over the ground pointlessly. The people to whom God gives in greatest measure are those who steward it well to the right ends, which includes giving generously. The more we get the flow well directed, the more God will pour in the top. So what does God care about? What sorts of things might God want our money to flow to? These were some of the things that started coming. Let's just have the first one to begin with. Our family. Actually, God cares that we use the resources that we have for our family. 1 Timothy 5. And verse 8 says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty clear, isn't it, really? Uh, (laughs) No ambiguity there. Um, I don't know, if you have an elderly relative who hasn't saved up for a pension and is living on next to nothing, and is struggling to pay for their heating when all the fuel price increases hit in this summer, it's your problem. That's what, you know, an application of that scripture. If you don't provide for your relatives, it doesn't add, you know, if you don't, it doesn't require the relatives to have done everything properly, you know? The relatives that need looking after are normally those that are sort of not so good with their finances, possibly even a bit of a toe rag. With their, they're, they're, those are the people that need help, normally, financially. And, and Paul doesn't offer any get-out clause. You know, you have to provide for your relatives unless they're a bit awkward. and something. You know, No, it's just a, state, a simple statement. So one of the things that God does want from us is that with the flow of money, out of the money that he's given to us, that we do provide for our family. Clear as day there in scripture. Another thing that God cares about greatly is the poor. I mean, you could turn to pretty much any book of the Bible and find statements about the need to care for the poor. The parable of the talents that I read earlier is followed by the parable of the sheep and goats, which is about using our resources to look after those who are poor, those who are in need, those who are naked and hungry. So that applies for us locally We have a concern for the poor locally in this city. Also, the New Testament talks about a global perspective on poverty. There were uh, believers in one country giving funds to support believers in need in another country and working hard to administrate the sending of finances across the seas to get somewhere. And for us today, that might make us think about giving to organisations like Tear Fund, so that would get the funds to where they're needed. It might also uh, make us think about how things are traded and whether in our purchasing 
there's a fair thing going on. We're a fair trade church and proud to be so. And I hope that that's something that you'll consider. Finally, do you want to say there's something about ministry? Um, the New Testament, or both Old Testament and New Testament, also talk about supporting godly ministry. It says quite clearly, and uh, I am denied about whether to say anything about this this morning, because my own position is complicated by the fact that I do get paid for doing ministry, but ultimately my responsibility is to, it, my responsibility is to say what the Bible says and not to feel awkward about it, so I shall do my best. The Bible says quite clearly that people engaged in the ministry of God's word should be paid for it, especially by those who benefit from it. It says it very clearly. Jesus has sent out bands of travelling evangelists, and in Luke 10, he said of them, the worker is worth his wages, and that they should expect their wages to come from the people to whom they spoke. And then Paul picked that up in 1 Timothy 5 and applied it to church leaders. said, elders too are worthy of their wages. And so as a church, what we want to do is to support various kinds of Christian workers, evangelists, people doing mission overseas, local pastoral staff, youth workers, etc. You might like to know that currently the ministry that we support locally and further afield, together with the necessary admin costs, you know, we're not frivolous on admin costs, currently that costs us the equivalent of £109 per month per regular Sunday attender. That's how much the cost is of the ministry that we're supporting. The reality is that we don't tend to band those sorts of figures around. Um, What we believe in instead is tithing. So people who are tithing generally are giving quite a lot more than that. Actually, there's a very stark um, contrast If you think of three categories of giving that go on in the church, there's a sort of middle category of people giving roughly that kind of amount, you know, sort of £100 a month or so, which is roughly the actual cost per person of running the church. There's a bunch of people giving that. Um, Not very many at all, I have to say. Only a handful of people giving at that kind of level. Then there are two huge categories either side. Um, Roughly half people giving really next to nothing, by which I suppose I mean maybe 10 or 20 pounds a month. That might not feel like nothing, but compared to others giving, it's a small amount. And then the other half of people are tithing and paying significantly more and sowing as they believe the scriptures have led them uh, through the church into Christian ministry. So I just think it's helpful for people to, for us to understand the reality of what's going on. I'm not trying to put anybody under pressure, but I think You know, Jesus said that what's whispered in the secret rooms will be shouted from the rooftops. Um, We're not going to publish everybody's giving. Um, (laughs) No, we're not, really. Uh, um, But I think some basic information about what's going on is only helpful for us to make informed decisions about what we do. The task of stewardship can seem overwhelming, And I'm aware that what I've shared this morning, I trust you can see it's come from the scriptures, could actually feel quite overwhelming, quite a burden to people. So two things to say to finish. One is, if your finances are not in order, 
it will probably take some time to get them in order. Probably is a six or 12 month period from starting to look at it to getting a grip to starting to make, you know, to the point where you're confident that you're making all the right decisions with your stewardship. So don't feel under pressure that you've got to sort this out by Wednesday or something, but there is a process to start. Secondly, I just want to underline that it really helps to involve other people. Um, Personally, for Bev and I, we have made a habit over the years of showing our household budget to people that we trust, be that Stephen Lorraine, who passed at us, um, or occasionally others. I think, well, why would, I, why would we not want to do that? The only reason I can think of is that there's something in there that we're, we're ultimately ashamed of. And what I want to do is get to a point where there is nothing shameful. So, so why would I not want to do that? And I'd like to encourage you as well to open up what's going on to people that you trust so that you could get their wisdom and their prayer and their advice. So I'm finished. Just to clarify, various responses that could come out from this morning. It may be that what you need to do is to sort out a budget. It may be that what you need to do is to start dealing with your debts. It may be that it's time for you to step out in faith, but actually God's just got hold of your heart this morning, but actually it's time to start giving to things that you've not been given to. In all of that, we as a church very happy to help practically in any way that we can, and certainly to pray with you. And I think I should pray now. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, um, you uh, said that, um, that money can be a god to us and be controlling of us, and we do want to be freed from that. We want you alone to be our God. We want all that we do with every aspect of our lives to honour you. And I pray, if anything I've said this morning has landed with a sense of placing guilt or obligation, uh, Lord, forgive me and uh, just come and blow that away, I pray. Lord, all we want to do here is to respond to the scriptures and to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. I pray that there would be no um, sort of obligatory giving or changes, no pressure that anybody feels one from another, or especially not from the church or from me out of this morning. I pray that scriptural principles would land and that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be changed in the ways that you want us to change, uh, that we might be at peace, we might be secure. Uh, in your love and in good stewardship. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would begin to open the windows of heaven over us, as it's promised in Malachi, uh, that when we, when we line our finances up with what you want from us, uh, then you open the windows of heaven and pour out a massive blessing. Lord, we want to live in the good of that, to start to see more of your finances coming our way to steward. We ask for your help in all of it, in Jesus' name. Amen.